Morning, everybody. All right. Um, so if you've been here recently, you'll know that back in the winter, we started um, a chronological kind of order of trying to go through the Bible, like in a five-month period, which we did. But in order to do a chronological order like that, of course, we had to kind of skip over chunks and sections of, of content in the Bible. And one of the things that we skipped over uh, were the five poetic books of the Old Testament. Um, that would be Job, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Psalms. Um, I had the privilege of speaking on Job a few weeks ago, which is all just a, a big, basically a big poem, a big story poem. A couple weeks ago, Ron spoke and spoke on Proverbs, which is more like sayings and advice. Um, and today we're going to focus in, and I think this will also carry us in for the next couple weeks with some other people um, in Psalms, which literally is a psalm is a lyric to music. So that's why it's obviously considered a poetic book. Um, today, you got, I mean, when I do speak, you guys know I normally like start right out with scripture. I'm going to ask you to bear with me today because it's going to take a little while before we get there. That's a little bit different um, kind of topic, the way I'm kind of doing this one today. Um, but I think today's topic, as we dive into Psalm 139, um, is so practical and such an issue for all of us, whether we're a kid, a teenager, a young adult, or an older adult. And I know it's been humbling to me as I've worked through it and, and read through it, um, that even at 47 years old, this is a truth that I need uh, more than ever in my life. A lot of times we see different people, or we think that people maybe have it all together, um, but they actually don't. So I'm going to ask you to watch a quick video right here. Um, Did you ever think of not going into show business, of being oh, a doctor God, or yes. an engineer? Yeah. But the bigger trick in my family was not to go into it, but to stay out of it. I would have had to have been a magician to stay out of show business. Really? I was put in nightclubs, put in them. When I was 13, I did not want to go into show business. But it did not appeal. But the, I have a very good reason. Um, I, when I became a teenager, which I did so at my peril. Um, my parents, both their careers were, you know, their bright white hot star of celebrity right. was slowly dimming and fading and cooling. And um, it, it scared me. I mean, I saw what it did to them. It hurt them. You know, what I say is celebrity is just obscurity biding its time. I mean, you're not going to stay at this some fantastic level of, oh, I love your, you know, it's going to go away. When I got famous, I did Star Wars. It's the second film I did. I was 19. I thought it would be like a goof. It misbehaved itself and did what it did. And from then on, I just was watching the clock. Yeah. And I think people confuse, you know, um, uh, celebrity with acceptance, with approval, with love. All these people are going to love you, and then you'll be able to love yourself. It's so misguided, and yet you see it repeated over it's and attention. over and over again. It's attention. Again. How can attention be bad? Uh, we all struggle with the challenge of wanting to be unconditionally accepted, wanting to feel like we belong, 
wanting to hear from others that what we do, that how we look, that how we think or act is appreciated by others. All of us in here, no matter what our age is, we all have that struggle because we have a deep and innate desire to be known, understood, and loved, and accepted by others for who we really are. In fact, to give you a few um, statistics, the National Institute of Marriage revealed that the greatest desire that people have in a relationship is to be unconditionally accepted and to have companionship. Another survey from DoSomething.org showed that the top wish among teenage girls was for their parents to communicate better with them and to have frequent and more open conversations with them. We have that desire. And we will go to great lengths to be accepted, to be recognized, and to be understood by other people, won't we? This even starts whenever we're a young, ch when we're a young child. As a young child, we want to what? We want to get the blue ribbon at the science fair. We want to gain approval and acceptance from our parents and from our teachers with good grades and good, and good behavior. Also, as a young kid, we want to be invited to everybody's birthday party, right? Wasn't that a big deal when we were younger? You didn't want to be that kid that didn't get the birthday party invitation at school. This doesn't change as we move into our teenage years. We get into other things, right? In order to gain acceptance, recognition, and understanding from others. It might be a $200 pair of Jordans. It might be having a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It might be scoring the winning goal or touchdown or maybe even being the MVP of the team. It might be getting on homecoming court. It might be coming up with the best promposal. For those of you that don't know what a promposal is, which would be a lot of you, maybe, if you're older, if you <laughs> talk to some of these guys over here, they'll explain it to you and you can realize how screwed up it really is. Okay? It might be having the most followers as a teenager. It might be getting the most likes or the most flattering comments on a selfie that you spent forever finding the best filter for. I don't even know how to do that, by the way. This, this does not change as we become young adults. As young adults, we want to own an impressive car. We want to have a big house. We want to get a promotion at work. And we also want to get included into social groups and events, right? We want to be a part of maybe a group. Later on, if you have kids, this moves into parenthood where you start to look for acceptance, recognition, and understanding from other people on maybe like having your child make the most uh, elite select sports team or maybe getting compliments on the way that your kids act, look, and perform. And this moves right into older adulthood where we then focus on appearing to be financially secure and maybe we gain that recognition, acceptance, and understanding from other people based on our family, maybe how close our family is, maybe how beautiful our family is, or maybe how successful our family is. In all of these areas, I think we would all agree that social media plays a huge role in getting the word out, right? I mean, it's, it's our avenue that we use to let everybody know, here's who we are. Here's 
things about us, pictures about us, in order to gain that acceptance and that recognition and understanding from other people. We go through life looking for a people to affirm our value. We live in a constant state, a quest for significance, because we rely on other people who are just as messed up as we are. We are continually disappointed, and we often are left feeling empty, inadequate, lonely, scared, and worthless. We then start to try to be something or something that we are not, just to gain the approval of other people. This may have started in the home at a very young age with things people said to you that you've never gotten over. It may really have heightened in school because we all know that the social interactions in school, we know what those social interactions look like. It more than likely is being magnified by the general culture, especially the media. And I want to give you a few kind of examples of that, of how our culture plays in to this quest for significance and to be known and understood. A recent Forbes article entitled The Ten Guaranteed Ways to Appear, get this now, to appear smarter than you are, said, and I quote, It's great to be smart, but intelligence is a hard thing to pin down. In many cases, how smart people think you are is just as important as how smart you actually are. Do I need to read that again? Or I, I'm... <laughs> You might not be able to alter your genetics, but there are some proven strategies that can help you appear to be more smarter, to be smarter. Some of these strategies seem arbitrary, but research shows they make a massive difference. That makes this good information to have, especially when you need to sway someone to your way of thinking. Now, I know what you're all wondering, right? What are the strategies? So I'll give you two. One was to use your middle initial. Yes. So, Bill, you're now William J. Hill, right? There we go. So use, sound, yeah. so use your middle initial a lot, and you will appear to be smarter than you actually are. The other was to wear nerd glasses. Yeah, you could actually wear some nerd glasses. There you go. We have cosmetic commercials and slogans that make girls think that they can fool people into thinking that they were born with skin that is what? 100% poreless perfection. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's... Probably the most disturbing thing that um, found out there was a quote from the former CEO of Abercrombie & Fitch. His name's Mike Jeffries. And here's what he said. In every school, there are the cool and popular kids, and then there are the not-so-cool kids. He says, candidly, we go after the cool kids. We go after the attractive, all-American kid with a great attitude and a lot of friends. A lot of people don't belong in our clothes, and they can't belong. Are we exclusionary? Absolutely. Those companies that are in trouble are trying to target everybody, young, old, fat, skinny. But then you become totally vanilla. You don't alienate anybody, but you don't excite anybody either. According to a recent study, seven out of 10 teen girls think that they're not good enough and that they don't measure up in looks, 
school performance, and relationships with family and friends. In fact, 70% of teen girls also say that they avoid normal daily activity when they feel bad about their looks. No wonder. Feeling unwanted, lonely, unworthy can bring about devastating consequences. Just a few weeks ago, on June 19th, a 15-year-old girl in Pennsylvania took her own life. According to her family, Sadie Riggs played softball and loved reading, drawing, and music. Sadie was a sweet and loving girl. She had dealt with a rough childhood, and she was living with her aunt and was struggling with emotional issues. Her obituary read, quote, For a young lady so excited about going to high school, things sure went terribly wrong for her. For the bullies involved, please know that you were effective in making her feel worthless. This isn't just about teenage girls. We also have young children. Young boy in Cincinnati, earlier this year, eight years old, Gabriel Tay took his own life in January after being bullied at school. Hung himself in his bedroom. Teens who survived suicide attempts were asked why they did it, their responses. Trying to escape from a situation that seems impossible to deal with or get relief from. Also, escaping feelings of rejection, hurt, and loss. And feeling angry, ashamed, guilty, unwanted, unloved, victimized, and a burden to others. This problem is not limited to kids and teens. On average, 44,193 suicides happen in the United States each year, 121 a day, and most of them are middle-aged men, not teenagers. We also see problems with adults with divorce, dissatisfactions with relationships. And in Montgomery County, you probably saw the news, we were recently named the overdose capital of America. Less than six months, nearly 400 people in our county have died from overdoses. People are hurting and struggling to feel valued, loved, and significant. So I ask the question, is it wrong to have a deep desire to be fully known, to be fully understood, and to be fully accepted? The answer is no. God created us with that desire for a reason. Even Jesus talked about knowing and being known by the Father in John 10, 15. We were created to matter, to be known, to be seen, and once seen to be loved no matter what. The thing is, we already do matter, and we already are seen by God. God gave us that desire with the intention of being fulfilled by him. So the problem is, is that we try to depend on other people and things to fill that void that can only be filled by God. And it never works. It never has and it never will. And why? Because people are fickle. What they like today, they don't like tomorrow. They change their minds like the wind. I do, right? I mean, we're all guilty of this. Let's look at Jesus' life, for example. Jesus entered the gates of Jerusalem 
on a Sunday with people yelling Hosanna and laying palm, down, palm branches down in front of him. And not even a week later, members of that same crowd were yelling crucify him. Why do we hang our value, our esteem, our worth on what other people think when they are just as messed up as we are and they can't figure out what they want for their own life? Today we're going to look at Psalm 139 to find some answers to that. Okay? We're going to look at the first 18 verses. We're not doing the whole thing. And I'm going to tell you straight up, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, but I'm also going to be reading out of the New Living Translation because um, it, it's good as well. So it's all good, but you know what I mean. So our goal is to get a picture of who God is because, as A.J. Tozier quoted, he said, what comes in our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Ron, you shared that a few months ago. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Hopefully we can change the way that we see and we think about ourselves because we can change the source of our self-worth. So let's take a look. If you have a phone or a Bible and you want to follow along, it's also going to be up on the screen. ESV version, verses 1 through 18, Psalm 139. And sorry if I add, listen, I have this bad habit even in school when I read to kids, like I add words that aren't there. And sometimes that happens here, so I'm going to go slow so I don't. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the innermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word and we thank you living in a world that teaches everything opposite 
of this. We thank you for truth. We thank you for clarity and how clear you are with who you are. And that today we just would ask that you would reveal yourself to us, that, that we would catch a glimpse of, of who you are and what you're like and how you, how you operate and how you think to draw closer to you. In Christ's name, amen. So in breaking down, we're going to kind of break this into some sections because it's, it's, it's a lot of verses. Um, we want to look at three truths that we can gain from Psalm 139. Number one, God knows the real you, the real me. In this quest to be recognized and to be understood and to be known in the world, God knows the real me. The NLT states the first six verses like this. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down and, or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go, explain that one to me. Mm. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. We so badly want to be understood and want people to get us. I think that that's probably why the Five Love Languages book is so well received, so people could understand us, understand how we feel. In a book called No One Saw My Pain, Why Teens Kill Themselves, there's an excerpt included from a teen boy's suicide letter that reads, No one knows what's in my head and nobody ever will. That's an incorrect statement. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our past, he knows our present, and he knows our future. He's omniscient. He knows everything. This is something I think we've heard about God a million times, but I think we often don't think about that on a personal level. We think about that he knows what's going to happen in the world, but we don't really relate that back to the fact that he knows what's happening in my life. In looking at those first six verses, what does he know? He knows everything that is hidden in my heart. He knows when I sit down and stand up. He knows every thought that's in my head, my coming and going, all my ways. He knows every word that I say, even before I say it. And he knows everything behind me and ahead of me. In Luke chapter 12, it even tells us that God knows the number of hairs on our head. In Ron K, yeah, I'm looking at Mike back there and Ron, and I'm like, that's pretty easy. <laughs> Ron, he knows the number of hairs in that beard. <laughs> you know, God has given us community with each other in the amazing opportunity to love and to be loved by each other here on earth. But let's not be fooled. That community, even here, that community and that love that we have with each other can never and will never replace the intimacy that we have with God. 
that deep down desire that we have to be fully known was put there for one purpose, and that was to be filled by God. Truth number two, God pursues you and never leaves you. Back in verses five and six that we just read, it said God is behind us and before us everywhere we go and that his hand is always on us to reassure us of his presence. As a parent, I would like to do this with my kids, right? To know everywhere that they have been and will go. I even downloaded the Find, what was it called? The Find Friends app. It's a great way to be a stalker parent because you could tell where your kid's at at all times. But even in my quest to be like God in that way, it is impossible. The knowledge of how intimately God knew David and protected him, I think, overwhelmed David as he's writing this psalm. And it should overwhelm us too. And, and comfort us that, that, he's before, that he's behind us and he's before us. However, I think that there is a tension within us, kind of an inner conflict going on between the desire to be fully known, right? We really want to be fully known, but yet there's a fear of being fully known, right? I don't know if I want God to know everything. We are afraid, I think, sometimes that if we're fully known, that other people will not like what they see and will reject us. Remember, people are fickle. Unfortunately, we believe the fallacy that God will treat us the same way that other people treat us when they don't like what they see. We're completely wrong in our thinking. Verses 7 through 12 read like this. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. We try to hide from God for fear of rejection or because sometimes we don't want to stop doing what we're doing. We don't necessarily want him to know all of our ways, but it's impossible to keep anything from him. Whether or not we want him to know, he does. And we forget that. We forget that he knows us fully and knows all of our ways. This started with Adam and Eve. We can look back to that story that we started with back in the winter. They tried to hide from God in the garden of Eden whenever they realized that they had sinned. It's impossible to hide from God. God knew right where they were and exactly what they had done before he even asked them what they were doing. You cannot hide from God. No matter where you go or what you do, he will still pursue you and never leave you. You know, I think a lot of times I envision God as this big guy up on this heavenly throne. Um, and I don't think that's the case. I think that he's omnipresent. He's, he's everywhere. 
this shouldn't really terrify us, but should comfort us. We shouldn't run around afraid because God's everywhere and he can see everything that we do. It should comfort us. Because in verse 10 it says, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. That shows us that his presence provides his followers with direction and strength. He has seen every side of me. He has seen the good. He has seen the bad. And he's seen the ugly. No joke. I was going to whistle, but I wasn't sure everybody would get it. And he still goes before me. He sees all the nasty stuff, and he still goes before me. And places his hand of blessing every day. Nothing can separate you or me from his love. Romans 8, 38 and 39 say, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky, above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The third truth from Psalm 139. God has always been and will always be at work in your life. Maybe this whole idea of a relationship with God is new to you, but it's not new to him. He made you, watched you grow and develop in your mother's womb, and he had a plan and a purpose for you from the beginning. Verses 13 through 18 read, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the sea, of the earth, sorry, there's that word. For your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Verses 13 through 15 tell us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We work really hard to look like and to be things that we really aren't. In 2016, there were 17.1 million plastic surgery procedures performed. Some necessary, most not. We are often discontented with the way that we were made because we are bombarded with images and reminders of what the world sees as ideal looks and ideal relationships. We have to trust that God knew what he was doing when he made us, and it's good. Verse 16 says he has a plan and purpose specifically for our life. It says, you saw me before I was born. 
Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. He knows our past, he knows our present, and he knows our future. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The fear of what will happen or will not happen in our future, I think, plagues us, right? We worry. I have a quote here from Reverend F.B. Meyer. States it like this. He's in the tomorrows. It is tomorrow that fills men with dread. God is there already. This was so comforting. All of the tomorrows of our life have to pass him before they can get to us. He didn't just put us here randomly to experience life and then say, well, I hope you can figure it out. Good luck. His hand has always been and will always be in our journey. I think we can all look back, right, in our lives and specifically see how God has used, like, people and events in our lives that have taught us things, that have protected us from things, and that have strengthened us from things. Even when those things weren't pleasant things, God puts those things in our life for reasons. Verses 17 and the first part of 18 say, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We have to trust that God, who knows us, who's with us, and never leaves us, knows what he's doing. Verse, the last part of verse 18 says, I awake and I am still with you. I think we not only have to trust that God is with us and knows us, but the fact that he will never leave us. And that's where the people thing never works, right? People always come and go. God does not. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So these three truths, I think um, there's one major thing that we can take away from these three truths that we find in Psalm 139. In all of these three truths, Base, I'm going to share with you three truths that are all rooted in the fact that we are free. We are free. That's the main takeaway here, is that we are totally free. And what are we free from in the reading of 139, where we learn who God is and kind of how he operates, is that we are free to be authentic and to allow others to do the same. If the creator of the earth accepts me as I am, and he knows me, and he even knows the dirty stuff, right? He knows the stuff that I don't want anybody else to know, and he loves me anyway, then why do I let other messed up people 
dictate what I do? That's the question I have for myself today. If God knows me and he loves me and he made me who I am, why do I let other messed up people on this earth dictate who I think I should be? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10 say, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. I think if you're a follower of Christ, that authenticity can lead to evangelism. When we are honest about our flaws and we are open with people about our shortcomings, others can let their guard down too. There's, whole, this, there's this whole perception that you know, you got to get your life cleaned up to be a follower of Christ. How backward is that? First of all, it's never going to be cleaned up. i got news for you, Right? Never going to be perfect. A quote from Salvaging My Identity states it this way. When we live authentic lives, we win. We get the freedom to be ourselves. And our lives are a stronger testimony of who God is. Which means we are better examples of Christ. Those things in us that we think of as imperfections, God uses to make us unique Instead of trying to hide them, let's allow God to refinish us the way he intends and to use us for his glory. Another thing that we're free from from this psalm is we are free from the approval of man and the ways of the world. So not only can I just be myself, I also don't have to worry about the approval of others. Galatians 4, 8, and 9 say, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have become, now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Galatians 1.10 reads, For am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Another quote from Salvaging My Identity. The need for acceptance is a poison that seeps into our thoughts and becomes an obsession, which eventually becomes toxic to our spiritual lives. When we become completely focused on acceptance of others, it's all-consuming and we lose sight of the fact that our Creator has accepted us completely in Christ. He sees the good, the bad, the ugly, and He still loves us. I think the third thing that we're free from from this psalm is we are free to embrace the journey that He has planned for our good and for His glory. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, But it is written that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared 
for those who love him. He has a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So what's this all mean if we're a follower of Christ? If we're a follower of Christ, it's because Christ is in us that God can know us and love us. It takes the pressure off, right? It's a relief that I serve a God that knows every part of me and loves me anyway. Not only does he love me, he goes before me and is behind me. He protects me, and he'll never leave. That takes the pressure off because in relationships in our world that we get into, this is what we want, but it never happens. That, own, that void where we're looking for a true fulfillment of someone that really knows us, that will always be with us and never leave us, can only be filled by God. And today, if you are not a follower of Christ, and you're tired of people maybe really knowing who you are and not liking you, or wanting to be known and feels like no one knows you, or worried about the approval of the world, or worried about the future and what that holds, the answer really only is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Which is simply done just by coming to him like a child coming to his father asking forgiveness and establishing a personal relationship with Christ. If that's something that you have never done and you're, God's really tugging on your heart this morning and you are thinking, I want this kind of God. I want the kind of God that really knows, that understands, that never leaves and is always with, then I challenge you to just grab me or there's a number of people around here that you could grab this morning. Um, and start that relationship with him today. Let's pray. Dear God, I um, just come to you thankful and humbled by your word that a God that somehow knows everything about everything chooses to have a relationship with his people. Not only that, but chose to sacrifice part of himself so that we could be with you. And I just pray that as we um, leave this place this morning and we head out into a world that teaches us everything opposite of what we've just read this morning in Psalm 139, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us and that we would get in your word to know when we hear those things and we're feeling those ways that those are lies.
that those are lies, that we should not, that we should be worried about a relationship with one person, and that's you. And that you, I just thank you for your example. I thank you for your willingness to love us no matter who we are, your willingness to go with us, and your willingness to never leave us. In Christ's name, amen.